Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Ken. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Nico, who is passionate about culture. So much so, he co-founded his own company called Platypus, where his team have built a platform to empower HR to uncover the organization's true culture. Now, Nico has lived all over the world and worked in many organizations. And he says he can talk about culture for hours. But don't worry, I won't keep him that long. Um, But what we will cover will be a lot of people, companies talk about culture, but what does it actually mean to you? How do you measure culture in terms of data? Can you measure this? How do you incorporate this into your recruitment process as well as the retention of talent? And how do you maintain values during the current COVID-19? Now the fact that everybody is working from home and in isolation. So welcome to the show, Nico. Uh, welcome and uh, thank you, Ken, for having me. I'm very excited to have, uh, to touch upon all those amazing subjects. Yeah, my pleasure, Nico. Listen, I'd first like to ask, maybe you could just tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So you'll be able to hear with the accent that I'm French. I can't really hide this. Uh, The name is actually Nicolas, but I just shortened for Nico. It's easier for everyone. I just turned 40. I live in Denmark for the past uh, almost eight years now. I've got uh, two lovely kids, um, almost Mm -hmm. five and almost three. And I've been uh, working in recruitment and HR for the past uh, 15 years or so in multiple countries, in, in France, in uh, the US, in Ireland, in Denmark, in India. And I've, uh, I've been lucky enough over the last eight years since I moved to Denmark um, to be working in, uh, in uh, the startup uh, scene. And, uh, and uh, I've, uh, I've had the chance and opportunity to grow organizations like um, Trustpilot, Falcon Social, uh, Unity, Revolut, or Picom. Wow, amazing. Really big, interesting been, companies. I've, I've sure. been lucky. Yeah, I've and all with their own challenges, no doubt. Listen, let's get on to culture, because um, it's a big topic. It can go in many different directions. But could you tell us, I mean, what does culture actually mean to you? And I think you're completely right here. I think if, uh, if we're being honest, right, we could ask, yeah. what do you mean by company culture to yeah. five people uh, working in HR or recruitment, and you're going to have five different answers. So I'll, I'll give you mine um, because I think that's the, that's the idea of discussion, uh, right? Um, yes, exactly. Get your opinion. Exactly. I believe there's a like. I believe too often company culture is defined by the words that companies like to put on walls. You know, like uh, integrity, respect, yeah. very fluffy. And that, to me, that's not culture, right? To me, that's mission statement. And a mission yeah. statement is extremely important. It's like you know a moral code or something we tend towards, or like a a goal for the organization and how we want to behave and interact and everything. And to me, culture is the people. Your culture is driven by your people. Your people bring who they are and their values into an organization. And this is culture. This is the organization. And that's why a mission statement is static. It is what it is and it's not going to change. Culture changes all the time. You hire people, people are living, people are promoted. Culture evolves. The perfect example to a explain my point of view, my vision on this is the one I systematically use as a French person. 
is Liberté, Égalité, Fraternité, which is France mission statement. You know, you have it written on every official building in France is a great mission statement. It's something amazing, a goal to, you know, to tend to. However, is that the first words that come to mind when you describe France or French culture? Probably not. You know, like, uh, joking aside, like you probably think about food, you think about, about culture, museums, you think about strikes, people complaining a lot. Probably yes. you think about like uh, they're having a cigarette with a beret, right? <laughs> so it's the difference between your culture and your mission statement. And it's not the same thing. And it's okay. It's not the same thing. The problem is like too often organizations see the mission statement as their culture, right? And they drive mm-hmm. everything that they want to drive programs, culture, inclusivity around this mission statement. And the problem is when this is not aligned with the actual culture of the organization. That's when you have pain. Yeah, because people misunderstanding of what the actual company is about. Completely. But you need to define that culture to start with, don't you? I think it's uh, you should have a mission statement. I never say that mission statements are wrong. I think it's important to have one. It's important to have a goal, a code of conduct, something that you know you you aspire to be as an organization. However, like uh, similarly, I always think like okay, if you really have to put integrity on the, the walls of your company, there's probably a big issue. If you need to remind people that integrity is a value, there's a big problem. So I believe more that uh, you know um, the, the values of the people will change over time. Like uh, you and me, we both have kids, right? Yeah. Uh, I think our values probably changed. What's important to us probably changed since we have kids, right? I think uh, before kids, I was very much about career, 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 career. Now it's a lot more around the work-life balance, uh, flexibility, wanting to be able to work on the, you know, like uh, the time that I allocate for work and wanting to be able to be free, like uh, no more nine to five. It's not something that's for me now. And it's not a good or a bad thing. It's because those values, what's important to me has changed. Now, this values, I will bring this to the organization that I work for. I'm lucky I work at Pranipus, um, the <laughs> company we, we founded. So yeah. obviously it's easier for me to, uh, to install this as a value. But let's say I was working in another organization. If this is something that's important to me, I will start pushing for it. Our vision, my vision and Pranipus vision is that if enough people push for certain values, let's say work-life balance, that's either going to become the culture of your company or you're going to lose your people. But the bottom line is you need to know. Yeah. It's a bit like, uh, French when they go striking in France, all the people come yeah. together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like uh, our, our vision of culture is that everyone has a voice and you yeah. should vote for what is important to you. And the organization should listen to what is the actual culture of the organization. Yeah, very, very interesting perspective. And I agree. And I, I agree. It makes a lot of sense to me. How, I mean, then, so that means the values are constantly changing over a period of time. I suppose also as the company grows, that measure as well. I mean, but then how do you how do you keep track of that? How do you keep on top of that? How do you measure that? So I mean, obviously, I don't want to you know do like a sales speech about yeah. uh, what we're doing at Planetus. I think there's multiple ways. There's obviously you know the good old school one on one between manager or between HR and and the employees discussion communication um, and, and the fact that we're all remote now doesn't change the fact that you need interaction. Mm. You need to understand and talk with your employees, with the, the people reporting under you, understanding what's important to them. What do they value or not? How are those things changing? And like you and I just said before, right? those values will change. An organization will change as they grow. The values you will see in an organization in a startup, you know, from zero to, let's say, 30, 40 people will completely change when it's a scale-up. And it will mm. change again when it's like a proper organization. Values that are driving massive organization, like, uh, I don't know, you know, like uh, big banks, or when we're talking people have more than 10,000 people, um, that's when you don't have a, a culture anymore. You have a, a mass of subculture, right? Cultures are more local or departmental. 
than an organizational culture. So how do you track this? Number one, I would say like one-on-ones. I think it's an easy way of gathering data or understanding. It's very quali- it's a qualitative, uh, if not, you know, it's not quantitative, but it's going to be very qualitative. The problem you have with this is assuming that everyone is talking genuinely with the HR or manager. And I think you and I know from experience because we're not uh, 18 anymore, uh, that uh, it's not the case, right? Most people don't feel that they can talk completely open heartedly with the, with the manager or the HR. The other one you would find is like surveys, internal surveys driven by the organization. The problem here is, I think, very similar, actually, because you don't really have anonymity, right, of on replying to the surveys. They know who they send it to. They know who's right, right? You could have whole survey or engagement survey, but are those really telling you anything about your culture or they're telling you if your company, if your employee are happy on certain things? I could be very happy with Copenhagen public transport, right? I'm very happy with Copenhagen public transport, but if I'm not using it, if it's not important to me, it's not super valuable in terms of defining the culture of Copenhagen, right? So, and it's a little bit around the solution that, we, that we're building, right? But I believe that the best way to measure culture is collecting anonymous data from people, understanding what's important to them within a certain matrix, and feeding this back to the organization anonymously, right? Collective yeah. intelligence or collective values intelligence. Wow. And yeah, so that's, you know, because I've been part of these surveys in the past, and they're all great initiatives, you know, they take, but they take a long time get the feedback, to do the survey, then to actually see the change. Um, you know, is there a better way to be effective? I mean, to make this go quicker? I mean, because, you know, change has happened so quickly now. Um, so to collect it, I think, go quicker, yes. Uh, so are we looking at changing the culture or understanding the culture? Understanding well, the culture. Go, first of all, you need to understand it before you yeah, see exactly. it understand what's going on. Exactly. That's, that's where I was going. You cannot change something you don't understand, right? Yeah. So understanding the culture in the first place, setting up uh, company-wise profile building, value-based profile building, it really depends on what's your methodology around you know, collecting the data and collecting the value, the way you build a profile or the way you build a, a cultural print of the person, right? If it's something that uh, is taking like uh, 45 minutes an hour, you're probably going to have a very, very low rate of people wanting to yeah. do this because it's painful, right? There's something as well around like... Uh, communication around why is this important because a lot of employees they will probably tell you like wow another survey useless yeah. you know like where well, i'm not gonna have an impact on it so, um, exactly. so i think it's it's a lot around like a pre-communication on understanding okay like this time you're doing something that's actually gonna have an impact not only on the company you know high level saying we've done it because we've done it because it looks good that we've done it but actually everything you say about yourself about what is important to you as an individual is one anonymous two is going to have an impact on how the organization is managed, the mm. people, the future people that are going to join the organization, and all the retention efforts that the organization is going to have. This, if you explain to people that this is your vote, you're voting on how the organization is going to be seen in terms of culture, right? Yeah. Like I, every time I have somebody that I know that's complaining around, oh, we have to vote again, you know, for Europe, the local mm. elections or whatever, I tell them like, yeah, it's okay. But then you know what? If you complain, you're not allowed to complain about whatever happens when whoever is elected is doing something that you don't like. This is your one chance to do a vote on the organization on what's important to you. Your voice will be part of the global voice of what is the culture of this organization, right? If you explain this to people, you tell them that it's not going to take X amount of time. It's quick. It's user-friendly. There's a bit of gamification. You'll discover mm-hmm. stuff about yourself. I think it's a win-win, really. Yeah. Um, and it's, then, you know, yeah. it's, you know, you mentioned there a bit of a gamification. So yeah. is, is that to make it fun ways of actually getting that information? Is that Completely. Kind of- 
I think that's the, it's both the, you know, making it fun and uh, the reward at the end of understanding something that I didn't know before. I mean, if we're being honest, people on Facebook are doing tests about what type of pizza I like. Yeah. And they're doing it because it's fun. And because at the end they say, Hey, I'm a margarita and I like you on Hawaiian pizza. Ha ha ha. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's where we are as a human race. And so like imagine the same concept, the same high level concept, except it's something that's super impactful and asking you, questioning you around like, is work-life balance more important than compensation? Is career development more important than the structure of the organization, right? Let me ask you, what do you care for? As long as you know that, one, you can speak truthfully and genuinely because your manager or HR is not going to be able to look at your personal profile, and that, two, this data is going to impact the future of the organization, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, okay, good point. But then, so you get to serve, you get this information in, and it's actually not what you expect in terms of the values and the culture of those people. How do you? I mean, it won't be <laughs> every won't be. time. Okay. No, exactly. You know how it is. It's um, so. Uh, first of all, it's you don't know what you don't know, right? I mm. love that sentence because you assume our culture is going to be this, right? Our sales department, of course, compensation is going to be the most important thing for him. Hundred percent an assumption, and you will be surprised. Seriously, you will because you're building it on a personal bias, on like. 100% assumption that if you work in sales, your drive is money. Yeah. And you know what? It's probably true 80% of the time. Again, like let me be <laughs> do a massive yeah. assumption on this. But what about those 20% that have something that's more important to this? Maybe it's career development. Maybe it's personal development. Maybe it's for them like a vision to, uh, to be able to uh, move into some, an, uh, another part of the organization, right? Again, so everything that, like from my experience, right? From what I've seen, every time a company is telling you our culture is X, it's built on assumption. Or, in my mind, even worse, it's built around, let's take the top layer, leadership, ask them what is their value, and just automatically assume that everyone else in the organization has the, has the same values. And of course, the top, like top management, has a massive impact on the culture of the organization mm. because of the decision they can make strategically, because of who they decide to hire in middle management, because of their behavior, and, and you know, like 100%. But they're not the only decision maker. It's lead by example, isn't it? That's the way it normally works. I mean, it would be in the best of world, yes. 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 And okay, so if you get that survey back then and it's, you know, you need to make a serious change, for example, mm-hmm. because what you see, what the values of people want and expect are actually far away from what you actually have in the company. Yeah. I mean, how do you approach that change in your experience? Great question. And uh, change management, cultural change is a, is a massive one. From what yeah. I've seen, there's... Uh, and again, multiple organizations, whether very big or very small. In my experience, there's really three ways to change culture in an organization. Okay. And when we're saying change culture, obviously, the decision maker on changing the culture is systematically top management, right? Because they're the one that can drive and take the decision of change. They decide that we are at A, we're not happy with A, we want to go to B, right? Now, there's three ways to go from A to B. Number one is, you know, the standard training and development, internal communication. You know, like, let's say we're not very high on, like, uh, the value diversity within the organization. We're going to explain and train people on like why is diversity a good thing? Why is it important? And why it's going to have a positive impact on the organization? Okay. Now, it works. Training and development, learning, uh, internal communication, it works, but it takes forever because if you're very honest and with everyone you know around you, everyone tells you like, yeah, we need to change. Things need to change. Yeah, but if you need to change personally, it's a little bit harder, right? People yeah. in general like, oh God, no, I don't need to change. I'm good. I mean, uh, mm. that's great. So it works. It takes forever. The second one, that works on the, on changing culture is a little bit more drastic. An aggressive approach is to fire people. You let people go, right? You detect within your organization who you assume or assess is not a good match in terms of the values that you want to have in the organization. 
right? And therefore, you feel that this person values is what's bringing us back. Because as I said early on, everyone has an influence on the culture, right? So if you remove a negative influence in your vision of where your culture should be, mm. down, the, down the line, and it's much faster, of course, because I mean, uh, <laughs> you remove, then, uh, then it, there's no more yeah. influence, right? Uh, down the line, the culture will evolve towards where you want it to be. So this one is very drastic, a bit dangerous because, well, you don't really, you cannot really control or predict the chain reaction that's going to happen mm. if you remove one person, right? Because it's usually extremely difficult to understand who's influencing who and so on, yes. right? And the other way is that, okay, yes, you remove one part of the equation, but you're not 100% sure of what's going to be the result if I remove the X from the equation, right? But it's drastic, immediate impact. The last one, and, and the one I think has the, has the best impact and, and uh, where, where you're more in control is hiring. Okay. Bringing people that, from their values, will bring change. Diversity of thoughts, bringing a different dynamic. If you know that somebody very much value diversity, right? If it's something that's critical to them, they will join the organization, they will start talking about it, they will start influencing, they will be a positive force of bringing the organization from A to B, right? The problematic here, understanding, of course, what's important to people. What are the values of people before hiring them? But if it's a manager in that case and you're bringing in somebody else, do you not have to replace the manager in that case? Or how, how would you work it? What do you mean? So if you brought in some new talent, for example, mm-hmm. but you see the negative impact is actually a manager that's in place at the moment. And yeah, you don't I would want to go drastic and fire that person. Yeah. I mean, well, how do you manage up bringing the new person in with the new existing manager that's there? If they're you know, on the same that, level? I, or, I think like uh, in terms of... Um, in terms of culture and behavior, I think it's too painful to have somebody that's not positive to your organization. Mm-hmm. I think you should not even wait that you have somebody else or wait that you have like a, some kind of pipeline. I think the moment you realize this is not good for our organization, and it's to the point of like, especially when we're talking about manager, I mean, it's not the impact of one person. It's the impact mm-hmm. that that person is having on everyone else. In that case, uh, you just act. And again, that's if you assess that this person values or culture or behavior is not aligned with who you want to be as an organization or where you want to go culturally as an organization. Yeah, now in terms of management, I think it should be automatic and then it should be direct. And then you can work around like understanding where do you want to be as an organization in terms of culture, plus what are the values of the people that's going to report under that person so you, that you can limit the risk of having disruptancy between where you want to be and where the people are, and then you bring that person in. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I'm a strong believer myself, short-term pain, long-term gain. Yes. Um, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or yeah, sometimes it's go backwards before you can go forwards. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. it can be difficult. I've been there trying. And you know how it is manager. as well. Like if um, if you're not careful around who you hire in an organization culturally, you end up with these like constant circles of like cycles. So of uh, of hiring. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Oh God, not a good match. And I let go. And I bring poor people. And and that's painful for the organization financially, of course, in terms of time because you yeah. can't reach the target that you want. The culture internally, the reputation outside, I mean, it's everything is linked to culture of the organization. And when I say this, I, I'm not saying that, you know, you should hire like a, a plumber to do marketing in your organization because the person is aligned with your values. Of course, skills come into uh, hiring the right person for the right job, right? But if given the choice between like a world-class talent that's completely disaligned with my organization, and I don't want to create a diversity of thoughts here. I'm trying to bring, you know, like people that will be a good match for my organization. World-class talent, completely disaligned with my organization, or somebody that maybe, you know, I don't like the term, but like B player, but mm-hmm. completely aligned with my organization, I will systematically go for the B player. Because right. the onboarding will be better, the performance of the person will be better, they will grow more in the organization. The A1 looks like you said, the quick win, but down the line, it's going to be painful at scale. Yeah, agree with you. 
But it's a good point you mentioned there. I mean, how do you incorporate that into your recruitment process then? Yeah. So I believe, and then this, uh, I might not make uh, lots of friends by saying this, but I tend to usually uh, <laughs> speak bluntly about yes. what I believe is the right thing. Yeah. So I kind of believe that the recruitment process, as it's done today, it's a numbers game. Everybody will tell you in recruitment, it's a numbers game, right? Why is this? It's because the bigger the pipeline, the more chance I have to fill up that role, right? Yeah. That leads us to one thing, which is employee branding, the way it's done today, is as simple as how do I lie to as many people as possible so that they apply to my jobs? right? How do I make myself appear like I'm the coolest organization in the world in the eye of the target group? I have a ping pong table with the Friday bars, I mean, whatever, you know, like a unlimited vacation and everything. So how do I lie as who we are as an organization to as many people as possible so that they apply to my jobs, right? Those people, candidates, they apply to the jobs, hundreds, hundreds of candidates have worked in organization with like 800, 900 people applying to one job, right? And then obviously you go through the recruitment process that's usually driven by the culture as in the mission statement because they don't understand what the actual culture of the organization is, right? And then what happens? You get hired, great. 46% of people joining a new job are gone within 18 months. Wow. 89% 46%. of 46%. 89% of those people is due to misalignment on the culture. And that is simply because organizations are lying consciously or unconsciously about who they are as an organization mm. to play the numbers game. I need tons of people to apply to my jobs. And to me, that's completely counterproductive because if you have tons of people applying to your jobs, that means you have to say no to tons of people, yeah. right? Only one person gets the job. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like to hear no, or you're not good enough, or you're not a good match, or I don't want you in my organization. That's not pleasant, but that's yeah. what you have to do to tons of people, right? And then the whatever people are saying about, yeah, it's all about the candidate experience. You know, I don't like being rejected. You don't like being rejected. And at the end of the day, you reject at scale tons and tons of people. So what I believe should be done is, number one, understanding what is your culture, right? As a whole, as an organization, but not using this data to hire because when you join a company, you don't join the company. You join the subculture in the department location that you're joining. If you're joining, I don't know, let's say a Maersk, you know, ginormous Danish or Lego, like Lego is ginormous, right? If you're joining Lego as an organization, you're not joining the culture of Lego. There's the mission statement of Lego that you're joining, but you will join the subculture of the marketing department in Bilund in Copenhagen because that's where the job is. So mm-hmm. understanding what are the dynamics of the subcultures of location, department, and so on. So that when you hire and if you want to do like, you know, like limit the risk of hiring the wrong person in terms of uh, cultural alignment, you build the profile that we were now, uh, you and I were talking about. You ask people just when they join, just when, sorry, just when they send their seat. You want to assess values or ask people about the values and what's important to them before they had the time to have a bias of like, what should I say to get the job? The moment you've talked with a recruiter, the moment you go on the website, like if your website is, you know, like the mission statement, integrity, respect, everything, I'm not stupid. I'm going to drop that word like maybe 25 times when you do this critical. I very much believe in integrity, respect, because it makes me look good. Body and search. That's the whole concept of the body and search, right? If you ask people once they've sent their CV, the moment they send their CV, to tell you about what's important to them, they don't know what they need to bullshit it. They're going to be genuine and honest. And then you can see, is that a match with the subculture of my department? And again, that's if you're looking for a match. Maybe you're looking to change your culture. You remember what you said, but then you can filter. I want to bring this person because he's an mm. agent of change. He's going to like bring a different dynamic, diversity of thoughts within my organization. If this is applicable, right? And understanding what is important for, you know, from the point of your values to the candidate is better for the candidate, is better for the hiring manager, it's better for the recruiter. You will talk to less people. You need to reject less people. It's to the point of, if I apply to a job, 
and they ask me what's important to me and I'm rejecting, of course I can take it back. But if I turn things around, you know what? I probably would not have, have been uh, happy in that organization in the first place. Maybe it was not good for me as a yeah. like cultural alignment. Yeah, very, very interesting, Nicole. Really interesting. And I can go on. I'm sorry. I just yeah, no, no. I'm going to leave you talking because I'm enjoying the conversation. But just a couple of points there. So that initial assessment of that cultural values with that candidate. Have you got some good examples that you've seen in your experience of making that assessment? You know, like is it as questions you ask in the interview? Is it so, like a game? There's a um, there's few things. First of all, I'm not talking about a personality test. Really, I'm not. It's not that I don't believe in personality tests, but if you absolutely want to do a personality test, in my mind, you do it very late in the process when you maybe have two candidates that okay. you both want to hire, and it's more like to assess which one will plug better in terms of working, right? Yeah. Personality test early in the process doesn't make any sense. And on top of it, sometimes I question a little bit personality tests because they usually bring more bias than anything else. And they've been built to show you like who's good in some certain archetype of people. Yeah. And you know what I'm exactly, right? I think when I was doing a hardcore recruitment myself, uh, I would try to ask people, okay, like what's important for you? What, what's your driver? Like where do you want to be in five years? If that tells me like, you know, like if the person is career driven, right. if they want to grow like a, I stopped asking around what's your salary. I asked people like, okay, well, what salary would you like to have for this, uh, for this role? Right. And because mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of actually, it's borderline illegal in some countries nowadays to ask uh, what people sure, are making. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think so. Something that's a little bit dodgy as well. It's like asking people what they do outside of work. Right. What's your hobby and everything. Give, keep trying to get some insight of like, what do they care for? I right. That's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you do? I read LinkedIn. I read medium. I read more about culture. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when people actually ask me this, what do you do in your spare time? I'm like, yeah, I mean, what do you mean? I started a company, I have two kids, I don't have spare time. That doesn't exist. It's a, <laughs> it's a unicorn lie or something like this. But it's extremely hard to ask about values. And mm. the problematic with this, I think, is that for me to tell you about my values and what's important for me, I need to trust you. And yeah. it's, uh, of course, That's... because I need to open up, right? And it's extremely hard to open up, A, when you're doing an interview, because yeah. I'm here to sell myself, right? And be like, I mean, should I actually trust you? I barely know you, right? Yes. That's why I strongly believe that a system or, or a questionnaire, and I'm not trying to sell platypus here, but I, yeah. I believe that the key lies into anonymity. Knowing 100% that whatever you answer is 100% anonymous and mm. cannot be shown as, you know, this is my profile, but will be shown in terms of algorithmic showing you is this person aligned or not with the organization. Knowing that, you know what? I can try to bullshit, but I don't know what I need to bullshit against because I don't have visibility in the subculture of that department. So I better be honest. And at the end of the day, if people are, anyone that has experience working in an organization where you're not aligned with your culture, when you're not happy, does not want to experience this again. Yeah. How often should you be checking, you know, doing these questionnaires or checking in on this? I know it's a continuous step, but how often would you be? I believe. So again, you remember, like I said earlier on, like uh, you and I, like I'm sure our values change when we had kids, right? I believe that values are a constant change, whether a big change or a small change. I think you should do it every six months. I think every six months you should ask uh, people, yourself, like, okay, what is important to me now? Because you will both be influenced by inside the organization, people around you and their values, but things, events that happen in your personal life, like suddenly, you know what? I was, I went from renting an apartment, I want to buy an apartment. And maybe now compensation that was not as my top three values become something that's critical to me because that's what I want to do with my life at the moment, right? So my values will change. And that is, again, not a bad thing. Like, it's just following up. And that goes very well with the idea that culture is not static. It changes all the time. It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, so true. I mean, even if something 
bad happens to somebody, like it could be a death or it could be an accident or it could be a change, it could be a happy thing where they got kids. I mean, of course, you completely change the personality of the person, exactly. the needs of that person, what they want to do. And the exactly. Exactly. Your values will change, right? Uh, maybe yeah. suddenly, maybe you went from a, from like a social, you know, becoming friends with my colleague is something that's extremely important to me. Mm-hmm. But like you said, maybe you had some really sad story in your life yeah. and, and uh, a loss, something like this, and you really don't feel like connecting with people around you anymore. So this went from like something that's, you know, my, one of my top three value to actually as one of my bottom three value because I don't feel that I want to connect with becoming friends with my colleagues, right? And again, there is nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with people that want to be friends with their colleague and not friends with their colleague. What's wrong is for organization not understanding what's important to their people, the values of their people, because that's what will drive their culture. It was interesting because I was watching the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix there last night. And uh, I mean, amazing guy, but the impact of the death of his father, what an amazing impact they had on him. I mean, he won three out of the NBA finals in a row. And then after that, he did, his father died tragically, and yeah. he decided to retire and change his direction in life. It was incredible. And what then he wanted to play uh, baseball, right? Because his dad was yeah, a exactly, yeah, yeah, playing yeah, baseball, yeah. and he came back playing basketball again. But it, that's, I mean, it's a, I think it's a great example of those values and how it changed. It completely, completely. You no, know? could I ask you just because um, I'm conscious of your time? Okay, so we're all COVID nineteen at the moment, working from home, which I enjoy. Very happy working from home. <laughs> <laughs> Might want to kid the kid, kid the kids sometimes, but in general, I'm quite happy about it. <laughs> um, but I've been asked about it, you know, saying, you know, some people want to go back to work, some people don't. How do you manage culture and values when everybody's working remotely? I think, uh, again, it's the difference between, so we're going back to, you need to understand what is important to your people because that's the, the core of everything, right? If you don't have these data points, how can you check, right? Yeah. Number one. So let's assume that we have this. I think, especially right now in time of crisis, it's like cutting through the noise, right? And there's lots of tools out there or internal surveys where everyone in the organization is asked the same thing, right? And very often, this creates more fatigue than actually uh, I'm excited to answer something because if you keep on asking me about something that's not important to me, I will not engage in this conversation or in this survey. I'll take my personal example. Do you remember I, I've said that flexibility is probably one of my top three values because of my current uh, set of life? Something that's not really important to me is, let's say, structure of the organization. How is the organization structure? Is it flat, not hierarchy, right? Like this, I don't really care about, right? Or maybe let's just say I don't care as much as flexibility, right? Now, if you keep on asking me everything about everything and you keep on asking me, like, how are you happy with the structure of the organization on something that's not relevant to me in time of crisis, you're going to annoy me. You're going to disengage me, right? But if you keep on asking me, like, how are you happy with flexibility in the organization in time of crisis? I'm going to be, you know what? Take care about what's important. And we're going back to, you know, the core of understand what is important to your people. Address that. Address this. Ask people about what's important to them. Because if you keep on asking them about something that's trivial, you're going to lose them, right? If you keep asking them about things that are important to them, they will, okay, you care. And I'm going to tell you if I'm happy with this or not. And so again, your values will change. In time of crisis, I think what I've seen on the news, on Facebook, I mean, it's almost like I had to switch it up because there was just too much. But it brings the best or the worst of people, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, it's like a catalyst of what are you and, and who are you and, and what's important to you. And I think the organization responsibility might be to keep the values or change the values. But more importantly, it's to cut the noise and help your employees like ground them. It's all about grounding, like getting back any kind of feeling, even if it's a fake feeling, but of control and understanding. And when you're lost, when you're stressed, when you're not in a good place, 
having somebody asking you about something that's important to you, are you happy with this? Are we doing well on that? It's a great way of grinding them back. Great, great input and great example. Thank you, Nico. No problem. Uh, Anderson, thank you for your time today. If people want to learn more about you and your organization, what is the best they way will, to get um, I think the, I think so. Like LinkedIn, it's pretty easy to find me because it's uh, Nicolas Blier-Silvestri. I think I'm the only one with that last name and that, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Copenhagen. Platypus.io, this uh, amazing, beautiful uh, Australian animal. So different and, and special. Platypus.io is the name of, uh, of our company. And I'm always happy to uh, connect uh, on... Uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. What's the link with the platypus and and the company? and the name of the company, right? Yeah. So platypus is an extraordinary animal and and probably one of the most strange. Uh, I don't know. Can you say strangest in English? Most strange. Yeah, strangest <laughs> animal. Yeah, strangest. Okay, like strangest animal <laughs> on the planet, and it probably shouldn't exist, right? If you're looking at what's logical and not logical, I mean, we're looking like a, a duck that like lays eggs, but it's actually a mammal, and actually yeah. uh, they they sweat milk. I mean, it's weird, right? But it came to be in the right environment. It came to be, it exists, right? And we believe that's exactly it. It's all about finding the right environment. It's all about finding the right culture, understanding who am I, what are my drivers, what's important to me, finding the right spot for me, and then become your own platypus. Cool. Very cool. Very interesting. Looking forward to learning more into the future and Nico and talking again because we can, there's multiple topics we can talk about. And yes. We can do another podcast in the future if you've got some time. That would be awesome. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm French, so I love to talk. This is what we do. It's true. It's true. The Irish. <laughs> put the Irish and the French with a pint. I mean, it's over. Like, it's just hours and hours and hours and hours. I mean, yeah. As long as we don't talk about rugby, then, then we're good. Yeah, well, right? <laughs> that's, that's good to touch you. All right. Listen, thank you for your time today, Nico. Thanks, Ken.